The bubble, the bubble, the bubble. It's bursting all around us. Two players have gotten coronavirus, and then there's an entire park full of people riding rides, going to Disney, meeting Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Will COVID end the NBA? Find out today on Downtown Sports. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perry Ante. This is Downtown Sports, where sports come home. And the NBA players, if this keeps going, might be coming home. Beast, let's dive in. Oh boy. What can we say about the NBA? They're weeks from relaunching, ready for a season to begin. They did everything together to put this in a bubble in Orlando, the Disney Resort, perfect place to be. No one around. There was going to be no one in the parks. Yeah, no fans. Nobody there. And Mickey now, and Minnie Mouse were on vacation. And now two more names of the many that have tested positive while in the bubble. Russell Westbrook, James Harden now have COVID-19. And there goes the Houston Rockets' chance of winning a title at all. <laughs> Because people were having trouble, like, oh, could Harden and Westbrook really play together? You know, maybe if one of them got sick or one of them got hurt and the other one stuck around, that would have been, you know, almost a better thing for the Rock. But now both of them are gone. I love how well, those they, two call coronavirus. Well, they played, well, they played together. Uh, they played together on uh, the Thunder way back in the days, and there didn't seem to be a problem then. Yeah, there were. Well, they played together for how many years, and then they went their separate ways, and now they're back together again. Yeah, well, they didn't like each other. That's why they went the separate ways the first time. That's why Harden got traded. Mm. Well, that doesn't necessarily matter at this point. What matters is now we have players inside this bubble that was supposed to be this big, magical, COVID-free bubble. And now, of course, and it's not just any two players. It's two of the biggest stars in the NBA today in Westbrook and Harden. Yes. So, um... We this is a two hitter edition. We've already started our 15 minutes, but we found a list, guys a list of players. And ever since this uh entire shenanigans started, so these are the NBA players that have officially tested positive for coronavirus since March 11th. It would be Rudy Gobert on the 11th. Donovan Mitchell on the 12th, Christian Wood on March 14th, Kevin Durant March 17th, Marcus Smart on the 19th of March, and then we go all the way to June when things started opening up and mini camps begin to happen again. Nikola Jokic from the Nuggets, then we got Malcolm Brogdon on June 24th. June 24th actually had a bunch of positive tests. Jabari Parker, Buddy Hill, Alex Len as well. Then on the 25th, Jarek Jones Jr. Then the 29th, Spencer Dinwiddie of the Nets got it. Then DeAndre Jordan, Landry Shamit from the Clippers on the 4th of July, Torian Prince on the 7th, Thomas Bryan on the 10th, Gary Payton the 2nd on the 10th, and now finally Westbrook and Harden. Over 20 players, 14th, respectively. Over 20 players total have COVID in the NBA. Oh, and by the way, none of this is counting. Um, yeah. None of this is counting um, all the people, ancillary people. Uh, there was a couple of cases of coronavirus 
that that of positive coronavirus cases on the Nets that weren't reported. Two Lakers players tested positive on the 19th of March. We don't have those names, though. Three 76ers organization members on the 19th tested positive. Doris Burke, NBA journalist. James Dolan tested positive for coronavirus. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. the list just goes on. Moving on. Um, <laughs> Michael Malone. goes on and on. Pelicans players on the 30th, they're unidentified right now. Um, we got um, three Heat players that are unidentified. And, yeah, this is crazy. So now you have to ask yourself this. At what point is enough enough? When is Adam Silver going to have to pull the plug if this gets too out of control? I, I think it is. We've now let people in Disney parks. I understand that was the plan from the whole time, and everybody says, but that was the plan the whole time. Everybody that we spoke to, I mean, I seem shocked by it, but everybody seems to want to say that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be shocked by this. This was the entire plan the whole time. Mickey and Minnie Mouse are going to be hanging out and shooting hoops with LeBron James and the peoples, apparently. The the entire idea was they were going to keep everybody separated. But now the city around Orlando is getting screwed up. I said this in my rant, John. You said this in your rant. Literally, how the hell are you going to keep the virus away from these players? You've already proven that you can't do it. Yeah, and I want to read a very interesting piece here from ESPN. Commissioner Silver was asked if there was any chance that the NBA doesn't go to Orlando as planned if coronavirus goes up. Remember, the NBA wants to resume play at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Silver said, and he told Time Magazine, never full steam ahead no matter what. One thing we're learning about this virus as much is unpredictable. And we and our players, together with their union, look at the data on a daily basis. If there was something to change that was outside of the scope of what we were playing for, certainly we would revisit our plans. We are testing daily. We haven't put a precise number on it, but if we were to see a large number of cases and see spread in our community, that would, of course, be a cause to stop as well. Well, um, are we going to wait until somebody dies before we really start shutting this stuff down? And that scares me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually me. asking a serious question at this point because no one is talking about the fact that these young men and young women who play pro sports – are literally risking their health, lives, and bodies for our entertainment. I know I keep saying this line yeah. over and over again, but it's the truth. It's for our entertainment, and I appreciate what they do. That's why I watch, but, you know, now Westbrook and Harden have the virus, and we don't know who else has it. Players are coming out and saying they've tested positive. Some players are hiding that they've tested positive. At least from the media, I mean, we don't have to know every person that tests positive. All I know is there's spread going around the NBA right now. Now, here's my uh, further into the article. I just found something else here. When asked what would constitute a significant spread that would shut the NBA down for a oh, second time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see this. And this is from June 30th. This is from June 30th. June 30th. Silver said he isn't sure, and the league will continue to work with a panel of scientists, doctors, and experts. We're going to see as we go. Well, certainly if cases are isolated, that's one thing. A lot of the determination will be our understanding of how our community became infected. That will be a part of our judgment in terms of whether we should continue. Okay, I can tell you how your community got infected, or at least the people there. Um, there are people that have to go in and out of the bubble to work in the bubble. They don't live, not everybody who was in the bubble lives in the bubble, right? You know, yeah. just like Kevin Smith said the other week on uh, 
episode of downtown sports that you guys should all check out when you're done with this one. People are going to be moving in and out of this thing. And the city around the bubble is infected with massive amounts of COVID. Miami, that's the worst hit area right now. Miami is the worst hit area. Orlando is getting up there. They're not doing too well either. And as it's still not under control in Florida, that's why I'm more and more worried with these players. I'm more and more concerned. I mean, is it going to take somebody to die? Is that really what it's going to take? Because the way that we're going and the way that we're seeing things happen, that's what you're going to see. One of these athletes, and nobody's thinking about this, but one of these athletes in 2020, considering how COVID has gone, one of these athletes in one of these sports is going to die of this virus. I'm amazed not one big player has even brought this up. I'm surprised LeBron hasn't even brought it up. You know, big star of the game, you know, the, this is where we, th- you know, the, 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 the moneymaker of the NBA. And he doesn't even bring up, well, what if, my co- what if my teammate dies? What if someone that I know, brother of mine, dies? Because they're not thinking about that. Listen, the players and the owners are playing to protect their salaries in the future and as, as well as today. Yeah. Because and if you don't have a speech. And they're taking three months to be away from their families. They can't even see them. They can't even hug them. They can't even be with them nope. for three months. Nope. And that's what they chose. That's what they agreed to. But here's the, here's the thing. What happens when there is spreading the Orlando bubble and all of these measures they took don't work? What happens when people who are in Disney parks somehow find a way to get themselves onto the bubble without being noticed? Yeah. You're taking major risks by letting regular people into any of the Disney facilities in Florida right now. Yeah. It doesn't make sense why you would have the park open for business and have this bubble in the middle of MGM. Ridiculous. And you're going to have players traveling. And as you said, people are going to be going in and out of the Disney resort. You could be mingling with a couple of people here and there. Maybe they want to take your autograph or something. and. I'm telling you, one of those players will not want to refuse that autograph. They'll let me take t- that person pen and get sick. Yeah, let me tell you something else. Do you really think that the players are going to just stay in their little bubble area, or do you think they might want to uh, go out and live? They're going to make they're going to make some accommodations. Maybe they're going to stay at a fancy little hotel. Maybe they'll have a maybe they have a place in Orlando. I'm sure players have a little have a little place that they own in in the city or in the area. They can just stay in that mansion or stay in that you know little know. dorm or something. Here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. The more you let regular people uh, into and around the bubble area, the more chance you're going to have of spread. I never in my life understood how this NBA Orlando plan could work if Disney were open and running for business. I don't care how much space Disney has. I don't care well, so far. because some of the people that have to work in the nba bubble then have to go in and out of the park where possibly people could be and now there's an added risk of 
What if somebody gets into the bubble that's not supposed to be there? They think, oh, I'm going to go meet LeBron James and see what they're living like in the Grand Floridian or something like that. I understand they have security, but you can't guarantee me that nobody that's going to be on Disney property is going to try to venture into the land that they don't belong in. You can't tell me that. Oh, that's like an, that's like a, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. That's a disaster waiting to happen. I wonder why no one has thought of the logistics of the idea of having Disney World open during this process. And yet at the same time, not only is the NBA going to be playing in Florida, eventually baseball's playing in Florida. Oh, and the Miami Marlins specifically. Tampa Bay Rays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another thing. We're going to move on. And, and oh, now, now um, we'll, we'll move into baseball just for a second, just to talk about positive cases, right? DJ LeMayu, coronavirus. Um, who else got Luke coronavirus? Sessa. The role of the Chapman. Yep, Chapman, Luis Sessa. Recesso Three coronavirus. Three Yankees uh, right now have it. Yeah, Robinson Cano still hasn't shown back up. Uh, he had to leave camp for a reason. Uh, you, I, I love out on the Zoom chat, I did the air quotes, leave camp for yeah. a reason. Personal reason. He got a positive test. I mean, yeah. it, it's his HIPAA right to – it's his right to not say what he's sick or not sick with. That's his – HIPAA rights, according to the United States Constitution. I don't care that they don't report that he has it or not. But it's obvious what's going on. More and more players are catching it. More and more players are spreading it. Remember back in April, Dak Prescott's 50-person party at his house? Yep. Texas? Yep. Said, oh, it was all social distance. Remember the other week where we had uh, – Giancarlo Stanton calling to a New York radio show talking about he doesn't think that players are going to be following the social distancing rules. Do you think NBA players have been doing any of this before they even came to Orlando? Do you think they were honestly going every minute of their life wearing a mask? Do I don't believe doing- every player is. I believe most players are because I believe most players are like most people. If but you do you think every minute they social distance? Do you think every minute they were making me, sure that they were spraying everything down? Do you? I mean, think about it this way. You're a normal person who wears a mask, who uh, cares about, you know, not making sure that you don't spread this around to everybody you know. You wear gloves, you can go in the store, you do all this. There's going to be some people that are sensible and wear masks and and believe in the virus and understand that it's a real thing. And then there are going to be some people that don't understand don't wear masks and don't social distance. It, 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 the NBA is just like any other group of people. Like you have New Yorkers that believe in the virus and quarantine, stay home. And then you had New Yorkers that didn't believe it and didn't social distance. And we had spread. Same thing like Florida. People that believe that, you know, COVID's real and, you know, they're wearing masks and gloves when they go to the store and they take precautions and be safe. And then you have dingbats who don't believe in the virus. It's the same thing in sports. So you can't tell me that every NBA player is wearing a mask. Every NBA player is social distancing. Every NBA player is watching their bodies for symptoms and taking precautions and quarantining when necessary if they feel possible COVID symptoms getting tested when they should during the offseason. You have no idea what any of these people were doing. So you can't tell me that it's a completely safe situation and that they're all going to follow these rules. You know what? The way, every, the way it always works in situations like this, right? The way it always works is 
there's about 90, 85 to 90% of people do what they're supposed to do that understand what the hell's going on around them and have enough sense to take, you know, reasonable action. And then you have the 10 to 15% of people that just don't believe anything you say, think everything's a conspiracy and a lie and it's a government setup and 5G's doing it. And I mean, look, Steph Curry said the world was flat in a podcast once. I can't necessarily say that everybody in the NBA is going to have sense. I don't think they don't, but you can't tell me that every single player is going to be following these rules, guys. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up with this before we go to break. Yeah. Adam Silver. The clock is ticking. I said this in Iran a while back. The clock is now beginning to tick for Adam Silver to start making a very, very important decision. Does the NBA resume or not? You've already had two cases so far in the bubble. Silver said at the time, it's not a big deal, but it's when it gets out of control. If it spreads to double that number or maybe triple that number or maybe quadruple that number, got to pull the plug. The thing you I'm afraid of? Pull the plug. The thing I'm afraid of, and it's time, but the thing I'm afraid of is that we're not going to see any action taken to, taken to uh, mitigate the spread, especially in sports. I think we're going to see these leagues go forward and go forward and go forward until someone dies. I think that's going to be the wake-up call for some of these people. Like, you know, one of your favorite athletes died because they got COVID. NBA resumes at the end of July. And on that note, let's take a break. When we come back, the NHL playoffs resume on August 1st in Canada, Toronto, and Edmonton. We will provide the preview of all 24 teams that will be competing in this playoff to determine the 2020 Stanley Cup champion. Back after this. And we're back here on Downtown Sports. I'm John Schiavone, the mouth of the South, along with my co-host, the beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente. And you can hear us on at least nine different podcasting platforms. Beast, tell them what they are yes, for me. You can listen to us on Anchor, on Spotify, Raker, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. You can listen to us every Tuesday and Wednesday with rants and live episodes because we are downtown sports and we are where sports come home. And now we dive in to the NHL playoffs, which are going to resume on August 1st, Toronto and Edmonton, Canada will be the host for the Stanley cup playoffs appropriate spot for everything to be. So the Rangers and Islanders both have made it in the top four seeds on each side. will play a round Robin style tournament to determine the, overall top four seeds they will then eventually play the winners whoever comes out of the five through 12 best of five tournament will go on to play the top four seeds in best of seven the rest of the way going forward let me put this in layman's terms for everybody basically what you have is the top four teams are going to be deciding where will they be seeded one through four those teams cannot drop below four so there's no way you're going to see like the Boston Bruins in the East or the Blues in the West go from one to fifth position. That, that's just that one through four is locked in place as one through four. They're going to determine who is one through four. Then five through 12 is going to be 
going from eight to four. So then whoever wins the five through 12 series will have seeds five through eight. And then they would go on accordingly as per normal rules of the NHL playoffs. Just to clear that up for anybody that doesn't understand. But first, we need to take a look at the two playoff teams in our area. By the way, very lucky that we had two playoff teams in our area thanks to this 2014 tournament idea. And let's take a look at who was probably the hottest team in the Eastern Conference before COVID-19 hit, a team that was challenging to make the playoffs and was only a few points out of eighth position. That'd be the New York Rangers, John. It's so, been quite a journey for the Rangers, I'll, I'll tell you. They made a lot of great additions. The big one was the acquisition of Artemi Panarin. The Bradman really stabilized this Rangers offense and really made everybody around him good. He was able to carry the load. Mika Zibanejad stepped up for a while when he was on a little bit of a lull or when he went down with an injury. And you just saw other players on the Rangers really step up to the plate. Specifically and, the newest goaltender on the Rangers. Yeah, Igor Shesterkin was has been one of the really great surprises and I think one of the best up-and-coming goalies we're going to see. He has a lot of talent, just 24 years old, and he hasn't allowed the stage to bother him yet. That's what makes him so unique. And I think having Henrik backing him up and being there as a resource, as somebody to speak to, um, because Henrik Lundqvist said, look, he could have went on to a team that had a chance of giving him a cup. At this point in time, nobody thought the Rangers were even going to be sniffing playoffs for the next couple of years. We thought Hen- we thought we were going to have to wait for Henrik Lundqvist's contract to run out so he could retire to get a new goalie. No, n- now we got Igor Sesterkin on this team who literally took the Rangers on one of the best runs that happened all year long in hockey this year to yeah. get them back into playoff contention. Because remember, they were the bottom of the barrel in the East after the first month. Yeah, but last year, even after the first month or two of the season this year, they were getting close to bottom of the barrel. And then they turned it on the second half of the year. What made the Rangers even stronger was the players they went after besides just Panarin. They had a great draft this past year. They went number two in the draft and drafted Capo Caco out of Finland, an 18-year-old that's only going to get better. Chris Kreider stayed around. You obviously have, you have Pavel Buchnevich. He's been solid. Philip Hedl, and you got Shesterkin to build around now. Shesterkin. Now you got the goaltender yeah. of the future. Uh, having you got the goaltender ex- of the future being taught by the goaltender of the present. And having the an ex-Islander like Ryan Strom found a home with the Rangers coming from the Islanders. Zibanejad, as I just mentioned, really helped lead this team. So the Rangers have had contributions just up and down this lineup. And it's still a very young team. Yeah, that's the great beauty of this. It's a Rebuilding. young team. Remember a year with ago. Years to go. So remember one year ago, Ranger fans. I just want to point this out. Remember one year ago, the letter that was released by Glenn Sather to Rangers fans, apologizing for the fact that they were not going to be as good as mm-hmm. expected over the next couple of years because there is a rebuilding process. That they understand that the quality of hockey would not be what Rangers fans have been used to. And now one year later, thanks to COVID-19 and all the craziness that's going on in the world today, they have a chance to make up for that apology that they had to give last year real, real early by winning in the first round of these round-robin playoffs against a team that's ripe to be picked off in the Carolina Hurricanes. They're ripe to be picked off. 
The Hurricanes did not want to see the Rangers. Carolina Hurricanes fans have said it. Carolina Hurricane media people have said it. That when this 2014 tournament idea came out and this round robin thing happened and then this 5 through 12, the Hurricanes did not want to see the Rangers. None of those teams that were 5 through 8 wanted to even take one look at the Rangers because the Rangers at that point in time were playing better than all of the teams 5 through 12. So I'm curious now if this layoff, this long lull off because of COVID, will will it help the Rangers or will it hurt the Rangers? They have not played since oh, that loss to Avalanche. Oh, it's going to help, and I'll tell you why it's going to help. Mm-hmm. Because that's about three or four months where Henrik Lundqvist doesn't have, didn't have to be on his uh, skates, didn't have to be taking pucks, didn't have okay. to be taking hits. So Shosturkin's a good goalie, a nice young goaltender. He's unproven in the playoffs. Lundqvist is not unproven in the playoffs. If you, I'd start Henrik Lundqvist, Lundqvist game one against the Hurricanes. I'll tell you why. Because if he could harness playoff Henrik and shut out the Hurricanes game one, you play him game two. If he screws up game one and gives up like three or four goals, push your start getting game two. But I think you give you give the old veteran a chance to go out there and try to win his, his Stanley Cup that he's earned. I'm sorry. Lundqvist more than any – he is the best goaltender I've ever seen to not win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. He had his chance, and six years ago, the Rangers were there in the Stanley Cup final, but fell in five games to the LA Kings. We have well, not forgotten Quick that. just played unreal. That was Jonathan. That one series was Jonathan Quick's claim to fame. Like he 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 did unbelievable things. Well, at least at least our man, our, our producer man Shane, has had the pleasure of seeing a a team from Los Angeles, yes. being from California. He's had a chance to see the LA Kings win a couple of cups. Not this year, but I know, you know. not this year, but <laughs> not this year. You know, All never right. this year. But switching gears now over to the other New York team in this mix is the Islanders. Now they were the team that we expected. High. The team that they we were expected. flying high for the first half of the year. They were right up there, number two, three in the standings. Then they dipped all the way down to seven. Because the Capitals and the Penguins woke up. That's what happened. I mean, the Islanders were playing really, really above their station to start the year, and the Penguins and the Caps were playing way below their station to start the year. I think the only two teams that have been really consistently good all season long in the Eastern Conference have been Tampa and Boston. Well, the Islanders, I think, have a very well-built team that they could take on Boston, and they can challenge the Capitals and all the other top dogs in the NHL. They can score. The Islanders they can, can score do that. like crazy. Let they me tell you something. They don't miss Tavares a bit. It's scary. But, they don't yeah. miss Tavares a bit. It's scary how much better they got without him. That's the scariest uh, point. Isn't here. it yeah. funny how you remove a selfish player from a locker room? We didn't even know how selfish of a player he was until he left the way he left. But if you think that that toxicity that he showed when he left the Islanders for the Maple Leafs – wasn't in existence the entire time he was an Islander. Then I got some property on the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, it's real nice. You know, you get it for very cheap. Let's go through this. The Islanders group, it's very powerful. Anders Lee, the captain of this team, 20 goals this year. Brock Nelson, 26 goals. He's led the way for the Islanders as well. Josh Bailey, Matthew Barzell, Anthony Bavillier. It's been a very, very dominant five. And that's a great five to have if you're the Islanders to have a team like this with the ability to score. And the goaltending has been just, I think, the biggest improvement of them all. Simeon Varlamov having a renaissance year. Mm -hmm. It's almost hard to believe a year ago, Robin Leonard 
had the same renaissance year a year ago with the Islanders, and he almost got them deep into the playoffs. They almost. I don't know. The Islanders keep on striking gold with these goaltenders. It's like this is the NHL equivalent of one year they had Kent Graham, followed by an old Boomer Esiason, followed by Rex Grossman, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick came in and led them to the play. This is the type of situation. The Islanders' goaltending situation has been for the past, what, three or four seasons yeah. now? Yeah. And the great thing is with Barry Trotz leading the way, I think the Islanders are in very good shape. The fourth winningest coach in the NHL. Barry Trotz has been here. One of the best yeah. defensive coaches in the game's yeah. history. And that's what each of the Islanders, and they played a great defense ever since Trotz took over. And that's I'll tell you something, and don't think that the goaltending on the Islanders, that the that – the, the level of goaltending play on the Islanders has been just random or lucky. It's by design. If you take a look at Barry Trotz's uh, defensive game plan, look in Washington when he was the coach of the Capitals, Mm -hmm. and look how that defense was set up all around the goaltender. You literally have to go through a center, two forwards, and two defensemen before you're even getting to a shot on the goal. So by that time, because remember, most defenses, forwards are trying to skate around – be close to the blue line so they could be there when the puck crosses and get a fast break. In Trotz's system, forwards will hit you. If you approach the goal, the forward's coming for you. And that's what allowed him to win a cup for the Capitals. That's what allowed Washington to win that cup in 2018. Trotz's defensive style allowed the Capitals to really take that step back where they didn't have to score all the time. They just had to have (laughs) enough goaltending with the good scoring, and it worked. Mm-hmm. And that's now, the thing. I have no doubt it shots will work on goal against the Islanders. They do not have many shots on goal taken against them throughout the course of the game. I think they average maybe uh, having 25 shots on goal against. I think that's their yeah. average at this point. Yeah. And that's so, where they and the Rangers differ. That's where they and the Rangers have a difference. Mm-hmm. The Rangers give up more shots on goal. Yeah, they've won games but you can't rely on your goalie to constantly make 40-plus saves a game. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the difference, I think, between why Lundqvist isn't as good as Shesterkin anymore because Lundqvist shouldn't have to make 40 saves a game. If you put Lundqvist in front of a team like the Islanders, imagine how much better they'd be doing with a goaltender like Lundqvist when he doesn't have to face 80 million shots and has a defense around him. Look how many years Lundqvist was relied upon to play defense in the Tortorella years. Mm Mm-hmm. What was that five years under Tortorella? He had to make 40-something saves, and he literally was the only reason. That's what separated the Rangers from getting close to that cup during the Tortorella years. They were yep. right there. They were right too there. Much but, defense, but playing too much defense with no offense. And they weren't even playing the defense well. That's the point. They weren't even playing defense well. 40 shots on goal a game were being given up by the Rangers during the Tortorella years. They gave up less shots on goal a game under Elaine Vigneault. That's how much of a failed experiment Tortorella was with the Rangers. We're in the future. We've got two very good series to look forward to. The Islanders are in a decent position. I think they can make some noise in this playoff. The Rangers, I think, could knock off a team like the Hurricanes. They are going to play the Hurricanes to start things off, and that will be very interesting. Like I said, I think they can knock off the Hurricanes. But then again, the one thing I'm going to ask as a Ranger fan, now I'm a Ranger fan. We've been in the middle of a rebuilding process. We drafted that kid from Finland, Kapokako. And now one of the teams who was in this 2014 tournament, 
mm-hmm. is going to get the top pick if they lose the round robin first round playoff thing they're doing. Yeah, this so if I'm a Rangers fan, as a hockey fan in general, I'm kind of cut because if I'm a fan of a team like the Rangers or the Canadiens or the Islanders. You know, one of those teams that's not, you know, like, in the tops of their divisions. And I lose round one. What, well, what's better? Getting to the second round of the playoffs? Or drafting number one and getting this kid who everybody's calling the next Wayne Gretzky? Well, I mean, the Rangers had the number two pick this past year. And it paid off. They got Capo Caco at number two. Now, I mean, could you imagine if the Rangers lost to the Hurricanes and then got the number one pick? Or if the Islanders lost their series and got the number one pick? I or if the Pittsburgh – wait a minute. I'll give you one better. What if the Pittsburgh Penguins lost their series and got the number one pick? I honestly don't – I don't even know if it's going to quite line up that way just because the Rangers go out in round one. That means they'll be the first seed to get a draft pick. They get a 12 they have a 12.5% chance because according to the NHL draft lottery and that's time. So this will be the last point. According to the NHL draft lottery that happened a couple of weeks back, the number 1 pick went to a team that is to be named later because they are still in playoff contention as we speak. So one of those teams in, those, in that round-robin seeds 5 through 12 for the East or the Western Conference, one of those teams is going to be getting the number one pick in the NHL draft in 2021. Well, we'll see what ends up happening. It will be a very interesting journey. Islanders play the Panthers. Rangers will take on the Hurricanes. August 1st, the NHL season returns with a 24-team tournament. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be a, quite a fight to the finish to take home Lord Stanley's Cup. This should be a very fun journey to come. And speaking of finishes, this is the finish to downtown sports. I'd like to thank our st- head statistician, Chris Large. I want to thank Tony Mangville for the NHL information that we gave to you today. I want to thank Shane Sullivan behind the glass beasts. Once again, where can they hear us? We're available on nine different platforms. We're on Anchor. We're on Spotify. We're on Breaker. Radio Public. Overcast. Pocket Casts. Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts. And CastBox. Nine different platforms. You can listen to us every Tuesday, Wednesday for rants and live episodes every week. We will have another rant and episode coming soon. But we are downtown sports and always will be the place where sports come home. For the Beasts of the East, Jonathan Periente. I'm John Schiavone, the Mouth of the South. This has been Downtown Sports. We out.